Hello, everyone. Uh, so our first reading is from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, 15. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The second reading is from Colossians 1, verses 15 through to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And the third Bible reading is Luke 4, uh, 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, <clears throat> and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on that da Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was the custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to, the oppressed, uh, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Thanks, Bible readers. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you all today. Um, Hello. Uh, I've just had a great few days in Melbourne. 
um, with a um, neighborhood collective group, uh, practitioners from around the country, people, followers of Jesus, who are thinking about what it means to live out um, Jesus' way of life, uh, in particular in the neighborhood. So there were social entrepreneurs and business leaders and church pastors and uh, people trying all sorts of uh, amazing ways to um, live out Jesus in front of our neighborhoods, to be committed to their place uh, and their neighborhood. And I was really excited to be um, there. Um, I flew in last night, and so I feel like I'm still kind of moving around a little bit, even though it's a short flight. Um, and I'm hoping, I'm going to try not to throw at you today all the things that I've been hearing the last three days. Because um, we've been journeying through the grand story of God together. Um, these six acts um, of this great story, this amazing story, this story that changes everything. Um, and it's just been really, really helpful, I think, hopefully for you as it has been for me, uh, to sit again in the story, to ask some different questions of the story and to, to see maybe some things in a, in a way we hadn't seen them before. Uh, because so much of the story that we live by informs the way we live, our practice, our life, our behavior, our values. Um, and along the way, to help us uh, enter the story, uh, we've been taking the journey through the lens of um, Clarice Nampajimpa Paulson, the indigenous artist who's been, uh, we've been showing her artworks, these artworks that are on display in the Yundamu Baptist Church um, in the north of the state. Um, and this series captures some layers of the story that have been helpful for us, I think, because they see the story in a different way to the way I see the story, maybe to the way you see the story. And this week, um, Clarice titles Act 4 as Jesus the True Person. We've changed that because we want to push that a little bit further to Jesus the True People. Hopefully we'll unpack a little bit of that. Uh, as we go along today. But I really love the way that her painting that we've got up there on the screen um, captures the humanity and the community of Jesus. It shows the Creator moving towards humanity and forming a community around Him. You can see that in that picture. And I think what we also see in that picture is uh, Jesus as a child, going through the experience of growing up as human. Uh, that's my reading of the slightly smaller U-shape, and it goes, gets bigger, and then he... Uh, does his ministry and forms a community. Um, I think it's a really, really helpful uh, image to capture uh, both the divinity of Jesus and the humanity um, of Jesus. And that's the, the story, that's the, the act that we're looking at today, the person of Jesus. Um, I want to pray as we start today. King Jesus, uh, this is all for you. Uh, we gather because uh, in some way we're drawn to you, uh, we've made a decision to follow you. We've been trying to figure out what that's like for a lifetime, for a few years, for a short time. Uh, and we know that we're really ordinary in lots of ways and um, we're kind of a wonky rock. We know that. But we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are for us. We thank you that we can see in you something of how we should live, something of an imagination of how to live as truly human. So Jesus, there are kind of questions today. That's, that's where we sit. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to our minds, our hearts, our lives, our community. We open our ears and our eyes and ourselves to you. And we say, teach us. Teach us, Jesus, in who you are and what you've said and what you are like. We thank you for this time we have now together. Amen. Now, if you were here last week, Melinda unpacked Act 3 for us, and I think did a great job of restricting herself, but also summarizing the story of the Old Testament uh, into slightly over 30 minutes. 
Um, and I just think it was a really, really helpful way of understanding the story of God through the Old Testament. God initiating a people, God continuing to be passionately for a people, even as those same people continue to reject and rebel and walk away from God and choose themselves and their own kingdoms instead. Uh, but you might remember that we also sat in a space of repentance because through the story of the Old Testament, we both see the character of God and what he's like, but we also see more of ourselves, more of our own humanity, what we're like. Uh, and we admitted that together. There was some room for repentance last week. You remember we finished with four postures, the four relationships that are fractured and broken, us and God, us together with other people, us within ourselves and us with creation. And we could see those uh, fractured and broken parts of ourselves uh, in the story of the Old Testament, the story of God's people through the Old Testament. But we also know it ourselves, don't we? And I found those postures really, really helpful. Uh, and we asked you to consider one of those postures, the one that spoke to you. And I hope that this week you've had a chance to sit in that, uh, to sit in knowing that God still passionately pursues you, but also to be really honest and real about where you're at and where we're at as humanity. And so Act 3 has this really interest, interesting kind of two major threads that Melinda pointed out for us. This knowing of God, this revealing of who God is, but also this dark reality of who humanity is. And Act 3 kind of finishes there. The story of God and his people seems to trail off into a, a silent shadow. That's a murky, grey period of time. They, for, century God, for centuries, God has passionately pursued and his people have rebelliously rejected him. And, and we can kind of ask, as Act 3 closes, has, has God given up? Has he finally had enough? Because the story goes quiet. There were whispers and poems and prophecies all through the story of God's people in the Old Testament, pointing forward to a future when God's people would be remembered and restored. But at the end of the story, they're sitting there in the smoldering ashes of what could have been. And a few hundred years pass, and the people of God find themselves still waiting. Now they're under the rule of the Roman Empire. And it seems again as though God and his great dream, his great dream for his people, has wound its way to a silent end. But then hope dawns. And Jesus enacts a revolution of love. Old promises are fulfilled. Ancient hopes are realized. The divine embodied enters our story. It started small, almost unnoticed. God was on the move and there was something different. The Holy Spirit begins to speak and to act, there are angels and miracles and supernatural encounters. Another world was breaking into this one. And in a nowhere town, in a nowhere region, in a tiny part of the Roman Empire, a baby is born. And God himself enters the story. The God of all things 
comes close, comes near, comes and lives with us in a form and in a language, in a person that we can understand, that we can know and relate to. The story we're told in the Christmas story and the Gospels presents Jesus as the truly human Son of God, in whom and through whom and for whom all creation was made. John's Gospel, which was read for us at the beginning of it, uh, begins by trying to capture the idea that the source of life, the beginning of life, the imagination of life, the initiation of life, is Jesus. And the poem that was read for us from the letter to the Colossians also attempts to tell us that story. I love that poem because it tries to capture, in in our words, something of who God is and then points to Jesus and said, all of God's fullness is found in Him. Flourishing life in every dimension is found in Jesus, it says. Now, it can be hard to hold in our minds that Jesus is God. That all the fullness of who God is, all of life being found in Jesus. And there's room for mystery there. There's room for unknowing here. But we can also find an answer to a really important question. Maybe you've asked this question before. What sort of God is God? There's other ways of asking that question. But maybe you've asked that question. Maybe people in your workplace are asking that question. What is God really like? Well, the answer to the story that we've been journeying through seems to give us. It answers in lots of different ways, but here in the crescendo, in the climax of the story, the story of God, the story of the Bible, tells us that God is like Jesus. If we want to know the answer to that question, we find it in Jesus. Because in Jesus we see the coming together of heaven and earth. We see in Jesus the character and the imagination and desire and emotion and passion of God. We can look God in the eye in Jesus and see and understand what was unknowable in a way that we can see and understand as a human. God has come close. He is not far off and indifferent, but here and nearby, and we can know him. What sort of God is God? God is like Jesus. You want to know God? Know Him in Jesus. You're not sure about what kind of God He is because of your experience of the church, like Jules' friends? Don't look to the church. Find out who He is in Jesus. 
And it's not just that we can know God in Jesus that's so amazing, but also what God is saying about how our humanity when he takes on our form and function and our created and limited and particular and grounded experience of life. In Jesus, God comes close and affirms our humanity. He says your ordinary eating and drinking, working and resting, walking and laughing and crying and playing is not something to be rejected, not something to be tolerated, not something to be escaped from, but something to be affirmed. Our humanity is part of God's good and beautiful design. We saw that in Act 1, remember? God's image in us. It's true that the human experience is limited and particular. We are creatures, not gods. And there's something liberating when we can capture the connected, grounded, limited aspect of that. There's something freeing when we admit to ourselves and to others that we aren't able to control everything. That we aren't meant to be in more than one place at a time. Isn't that a relief? For those of us chasing kids and work and life, we're only meant to be in one place. We're meant to be grounded. And we're meant to be present. So many ancient stories and, and even modern narratives that we have bought into, I think, tell of a, a quest to break free from the limitations of human experience. But the, the Gospels tell of a God who embraced the limitations and the location and the life rhythms of human experience. Jesus was not a spirit projecting a human facade. He fully embraced the ordinariness of us. He chose to be doing one thing in one place at one time. Isn't that both an encouragement but also a challenge? And Jesus lived this with the emotional and physical and sensory and mental capacities of humanity. That means God limited himself. Jesus' incarnation, his coming in human form, is an intentional embrace of God's beautiful design in humanity. And it challenges some fundamental modern narratives that I live by, that maybe you live by too often. Where our world says fast mobility is key. Jesus says grounded presence is more important. We see that as Jesus comes to one people in one location in human history. He limits his experience to a particular place and time and people. And this challenges, I think, our contemporary culture that's disconnected us from land, that drives us to move quickly past the people and place that we live in. And that means we're never satisfied on our quest to transcend the ordinary of life. I think one thing that's worth saying here is that our goal is not just to attain the ultimate human experience, although it is found in Jesus. But it's not just to attain that by reducing Jesus to a vehicle for our own self-promotion. 
that make sense? He is not just a self-help guide that will get you there. The Gospels are clear about that. I think it's not just a spiritual transcendence that we see ourselves cry out for. It happens in our day today too. The story that we live by, that we've bought into, we evacuate our human experience by avoiding relationships, don't we? People right in front of us, interactions that we should be having. We remove ourselves from them. Avoiding something of the ordinary. Being unwilling to relationally risk ourselves in that space. We do it too by removing ourselves from place. By keeping on moving, by keeping busy, by being too distracted, even with good things. We avoid our responsibility for a particular place or a particular people or a particular person. I think we do it too as we avoid dealing with our inner brokenness and chaos and wrestle. But Jesus' incarnation challenges us to take seriously where God has placed us. In a particular place. Not just in this world, not just in Adelaide, but in a particular place, in a particular time. It also challenges us to take seriously the limitations that we might live with, within ourselves, who we are, what we're like. That's part of our wonky rockness. And God wants to use that and work through that. The goal is not necessarily to transcend that, to escape from that, to somehow become superhuman. Even good things can cause us to evacuate that space that God has actually placed us in, right? There are so many good things that we can do over here or for those people or in this way. Maybe that's okay. But we have to ask the question, what does that mean about the responsibility of the time, place and people that God has us in on a ground level? on a smaller scale, at a slower pace. Jesus' incarnation is God embracing our humanity and showing us that our humanness is not something to be avoided or rejected, but lived into and lived out of. I do want to ask, though, of Jesus, it's one of my questions, why this way? Because you could have done it quickly, right? God, being God, could have achieved all that he wanted to achieve in a simpler, faster, quicker, more dramatic kind of way. Israel were wanting that. They wanted a political revolution. They wanted a fast solution to their diminished experience of life, didn't they? That's what they were expecting the Messiah, the King to be. That's not what we see in Jesus. I think I experienced that craving myself, actually. Fast solutions. Quick resolutions. And when Jesus comes, he does announce the great undoing. The undoing of the evil empire that has overshadowed humanity. 
And he, and he says he's come to reunite the fracture, to restore the half-dead, to breathe life back into people. He's come, he says, to put it all back together. That's not what we expected. We might have expected a great move of power. Instead, the story kind of shows us a peaceful subversion, a non-violent revolution. A more quiet reimagining of life and humanity and what it means to be a people. The other passage we read today from the Gospel of Luke is Jesus taking the stories of old and pointing forward and saying, This is the kind of kingdom that I have come to bring. As he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to announce the good news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the enslaved. Stepping into creation, Jesus has come to restore the image of true humanity. He's come to dry the tears of a broken world and he's come to revive that image of God within us. He's come to overcome the enemies of flourishing, sin and death. And he calls us to repentance. The first gospel proclamation that he makes, he says, repent and believe for the kingdom has come near. His call is not just to recognize those stories of when we were unkind or ungenerous or a bit of a jerk in our repentance, but actually to turn completely from a way of living to a whole new way of being and living. To turn from a life that produces destruction and fracture and fragmentation and that leads ultimately to a diminishing of human experience for ourselves and for others and to turn to that and to live a new way. A way of peace and repair and countercultural activity. He calls us to a way of becoming truly human, what we were always meant to be. Jesus' revolution is also a clash of kingdoms. The life he lived, the words he said, the supernatural expression of his kingdom are all challenges to the dark kingdom and dark stories of this world. He taught how corrupt spiritual powers corrupt whole communities with their lies. Lies like, my tribe is superior to your tribe. Jesus challenged that by teaching that every human is made in the image of God. The lie that says peace comes through violence, he says true peace comes through self-giving love. Jesus came with a new kind of humanity, a humanity transformed by God's love in Jesus. Now, Jesus is far more than an example of human life. I think that's one way we can begin to relate to Jesus, as if in some way I'm meant to live out my life exactly modeled on how Jesus did. But Jesus is what we couldn't ever be. 
Jesus is the true people. He's not just the best example of a person. I don't think he's even just only the true person. He is the true people. In Jesus, all of life, flourishing life, is found. In Jesus, the recreation of a new people begins. Paul writes in Corinthians that Jesus is the first of this newly created people. Colossians 3 tells us that hidden in Christ is the life of God's new people. And Jesus speaks and walks a new way of being. The kingdom on earth. We might ask the question, what sort of God is God? But we also ask the question, I think, what sort of human life can we imagine? What's the purpose? What's my identity? What's a humanity like Jesus? We see in him the beginnings of an imagination for a new people, the way of Jesus. Jesus comes and says, I am the true life. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am life. And if we go right back to the beginning of the story, all the way back to Act 1, we find in the garden a tree of life, which was an image of receiving God's own eternal life or flourishing life, receiving that into yourself. And looking all the way back to the beginning of the story, Jesus is saying, I am the new tree of life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come so that you might have life and life abundantly. That you might have flourishing life. How? How can we have that kind of life? Well, on the night before Jesus gives up his life, he does something a bit weird. He takes some bread at dinner, and he takes the cup of wine, and he says, this bread, this is my body, and this cup, this is my blood. And he says, take and eat. Take and drink. In other words, Jesus is saying, take into yourself my own life. Take into yourself what it means to be a true people. And he says, do this often. Come back to the tree of life often and eat and drink and find flourishing life in me. And he sets up a practice that we still do today, that we're going to do today. As a reminder of the life that we find in Jesus. And having found life in Jesus, we come back again to take again into ourselves the reminder the imagination, the life. Abundant life, flourishing life. And after the meal, we see that in order for us to take in flourishing life, in order for us to find that life, Jesus must give his life. 
His whole journey through the story of the Gospels has been taking God's new kingdom to Jerusalem to confront the powers. And we see the clash of kingdoms in the story there too. Those, the, the kingdoms that we can see and those that we can't see. And they all react violently towards him. Jesus' death was a battle. Not against humans, but against the real enemy, the spiritual powers that enslave us. And Jesus gives his life and lets evil do its worst. And the dark powers come flooding forward, tearing at him to bring him down. Never before has God made himself as vulnerable as this. Now's our chance, they, they say, as they throw all they have at him on the cross. And blinded humanity, hard-hearted and greedy, we join in, revolting against the passion of Jesus. We tear him apart. And torn and bleeding, Jesus cries out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And he dies. His life is given. And in that moment, the crucified king redeems all humanity. His life given away so that he can offer his life to all. And his blood shed, reconciling all things, making peace. That's not the end of the story. Because death dies. Jesus, resurrected, brings with him a new day, a new age. Because God's love has the power to create life even out of death. And Jesus resurrects, still human, but a new kind of human. Maybe a good way to put it is a new category of human. One that can both live on earth, but also in heaven. One that can rule with God now and in the future. Jesus, resurrected King Jesus, is the new humanity that we are all called to become. That all of us one day resurrected will become. And in Jesus' resurrection, we see the dimensions of heaven and earth come together. All things are brought back together in him. And he offers, as the king of all things, flourishing life. Even flourishing life now. And Jesus says as he teaches that life is knowing that God of love. Knowing him so that our minds can be renewed, our imaginations can be transformed as we're liberated by his love. As we're liberated to love God and to love others. And in Jesus' resurrection, we can also trust that even if we die, we will be resurrected with God in the future. This is our hope-filled horizon. We're going to practice together that meal, that offer of Jesus saying, this is my body, this is my blood. Take into yourself flourishing life.
at the cross, we see two key events. An act of loving sacrifice that shapes the way we live, the way we speak, the way we imagine what it means to live as King Jesus. Our vision of life is a cross-shaped life. That's why we have this symbol. One of the questions you might ask yourself this morning as we take and eat and drink is, do I need to take into myself again his flourishing life? Have I been in a position ever before where I've recognized my humanity, my need for something other than myself? This meal is an invitation to do that. Jesus says, take and eat and in me find life and find life that satisfies. When he says, I'm the bread of life, he says, you'll never need to eat again. He's talking about flourishing life, eternal life, satisfied in him life. But also what we see at the cross is a coronation event. That really symbolic moment when the crown of thorns is placed on Jesus and he's raised above the crowd and a sign is put above his head that says, this is the king of the Jews. That was all meant in jest, in horrific torture. And yet it becomes for Jesus his coronation, his groaning. And in defeating sin and evil and death as he raises, resurrects from the dead, Jesus claims his throne as king and said, I am the victor. I am king over all things. And so at this table too, we receive the invitation of the crucified king to offer our allegiance to him, to choose to follow him. Have you ever offered your allegiance to King Jesus? His claim as king is over all of life, the small and the big. There might be part of life that you've never fully laid down in front of the king. The third part of this meal together is that it is an act of rebellion. It's an act of rebellion against the story of the world that says the lies, the stories, the dream of life in the world actually leads to diminished life. And in an act of rebellion, I'm going to say yes to Jesus and share in this meal and subversively protest against that lie and say that actually the true story, true humanity, what it means to be the people is found here, not there. And this meal is a vulnerable act of rebellion because we come as wonky humans, limited, particular, placed, and say, Jesus, it's, it's hard to live this life. It's hard for me to be present to the people around me. It's hard for me to be focused to the place that God has placed me in the neighborhood I live in. The people right in front of me. 
And so this meal becomes a dare that we share together, where we say to each other, we're daring each other to live this life and to see what could happen, to see what it means to live as a community of followers of Jesus, to live cross-shaped life. All of those things are captured in this meal and more. 